1: On this episode we're going to be focusing on a name that is commonly applied to the people of God in the new covenant, but there is an uncommon depth of revelation associated with it. In Acts 2:47 we are referred to as the church. Let me read the scripture. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, right from the start, I can see that the church is not a work of man alone. We may be God's instruments to help build it, but it is a work of God. This is not just an organization. The church is an organism. It is a living body of believers worldwide that transcends denominationalism. In fact, there are over 2 billion professing Christians in the world, and yet many of them have never been born again. Many of them have never been saved by new covenant standards, nor do they have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe in historical Jesus who was born of a virgin, who was crucified, buried, and rose again and ascended to heaven, and yet Too often, there is no personal relationship with him, which is absolutely essential. Jesus said in John 17, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So it's vitally important not just to know about him, but to know him. And if you truly know him, then you are truly in the church. Now, if there's such a large group over 2 billion strong of those who profess a belief in Christianity, how do you tell the difference? Well, I call that larger group the professing church, but there is a nucleus of believers that I call the possessing church because they possess this witness internally that they are truly washed in the blood of Jesus, forgiven, and regenerated by the mercy and grace of God. And when that happens, there's an inner witness. You have a way of identifying with others in the church who have a similar mindset and a similar heart experience. The original Greek of the word translated church there is ekklesia, and ekklesia is found 114 times in the New Testament. The majority of those times, it is translated church. It either means the church as a whole globally, or it can mean a local body of believers as it does in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. The word "ecclesia" means the called out ones. That sparks revelation in me right there because if you are a part of the true church, you have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have been called out of depression into joy, called out of anxiety into peace, called out of senseless lifestyles into divine purpose, called out of satanic domination into the protection of angels, called out of a life of debauchery and uncleanness into fellowship with the God of heaven. There's so many things you've been called out of, but God also calls you into the opposite of those things. Thank God if you're among the called out ones, it also means every member of the church has an individual calling. You're not just called in a general sense with the rest of the body of you are called in a specific sense. You have an individual calling. One of my favorite quotes is this that all men are born into the world originals, but most men die copies. Think of that. Don't just copy other members of the Church of the Living God and do things religiously the way everybody else does their religious experience. But find God's specific and unique calling for your life because you're one of the called out ones. You're a part of the Church of the Living God. Now, does this apply to the Old Testament people of God, the Israelites, that were in a covenant with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Although you do not find the word church in the Old Testament, you do find the Old Testament people of God referred to as the church one time, and that was in Acts chapter 7 verse 38. This is when Stephen is about to be martyred, and he's preaching to these fierce religious people that are about to stone him. And he refers to Israel as the church in the wilderness. And the original word in the Greek is ekklesia, the church in the wilderness. Now that word has also been translated assembly in the King James Version three times and congregation in some other versions of the Bible but it means something a little bit more than just an assembly or a congregation. It has a touch, a feeling associated with it that represents the hand of God being on that group of people. Well, if Israel was referred to as the church in the wilderness by Stephen, why did he do that? primarily because they were called out of Egypt into the land of promise, out of polytheism, into the belief that there is one God, out of immorality into the constraints of keeping the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments that were in the Torah. They were the church in the wilderness, and to be honest with you, we're the church in the wilderness as well, because this world is a wilderness, It is such a strange place. I know why Moses called his son Gershom, which means a stranger in a strange land. I feel like that every day. This is a wilderness world, but you can meet God here and receive a relationship with him here, and so it's worth the journey. It's worth the trek but only in that sense was Israel referred to that way. And then I believe that the righteous of the Old Testament, those who were in a covenant relationship with God in that era, they, in a supernatural sense, became members of the church when Jesus went down into the lower parts of the earth in between the crucifixion and the resurrection. And the Bible says he preached the gospel to the dead. That they might live according to God in the Spirit, and that's found in Ephesians chapter four, verse nine, First Peter chapter three, verses eighteen through twenty. And 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6 is very clear that Jesus preached in Hades or in Sheol, the underworld, where there was a chamber for the wicked and a chamber for the righteous and an impassable gulf in between. And I believe he preached to the Old Testament righteous to receive him as their Lord and Savior, that he was the prophesied Messiah. And I believe personally that they were born again. I'm not certain how God did it, I can imagine angels flying over that crowd that were awaiting him in the underworld and sprinkling them with the blood that he had just shed on the cross. Who knows exactly how it happened, but a nation was born at once. Uh, you may say, well, they were dead. How could they be born again? Because it's not the flesh part of you that's born again. It's the spirit part of you that is born again. And that's when they were called out of the lower world, out of Sheol, all the way up to the third heaven to paradise and Jesus led captivity captive. There's much more that can be said about that, but I'll reserve that for a different program. Now, I wanna bring out some very powerful individual and unique insights about the church. And I believe each one of these are going to speak to your heart. First of all, the church is the most valuable institution in the world. I find in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, that we are the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. If there's anything I know, I know that if you're gonna buy something, if you're going to buy a house or a car or an item of clothing or some product that you want in your home, You're not gonna make the exchange until that item of merchandise is more valuable to you than the price you have to pay. And somehow, some way, for some reason, the creator of the universe decided that this motley group of sin-stained, demonically controlled sons and daughters of Adam in a fallen state were more valuable to him than his own blood. Think of that, that we are the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. In fact, this scripture is one of the most powerful scriptures proving the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was more than just the Messiah, the anointed one. He was God manifested in the flesh, and he considered you more valuable then the very blood that needed to be shed on the cross to redeem you from the power of sin. That should edify you the rest of this day, the rest of this week, month, year, and the rest of your life to realize that you are that valuable to God. Also, the church is the most important institution in the world. And my basis for that statement is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. That passage says the church of the living God is the pillar and foundation of the truth. The King James Version says the pillar and ground of the truth. Well, I believe the writer was referring to a memorial pillar. Just like the pillars in front of the Temple of Solomon, Jacob and Boaz, 35 foot high pillars. I've read historically that on top of each one of those pillars, was a fire altar that burned continuously so that the pilgrims coming to Jerusalem in the darkness of night would top the hills around the holy city and see that fire burning in the distance. And they knew that they were getting closer to the city of God, closer to the temple of God, and closer to the God who dwelt by his glory in the holy of holies in that temple. And so the pillars out in front of the temple were radiating light in a very dark world, drawing people to the presence of God. And that's exactly what the church, the pillar and ground of the truth, should be and should do. Like a memorial pillar reared up higher than all nations, we are radiating the light of truth into a world full of deception. The prince of darkness, the Bible calls a great deceiver who deceives every person coming into the world. And then not only that, it says exhort one another daily lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is a deceiving power that ensnares its captives. And then you and I can fall prey to self-deception. In fact, there's a scripture that says if any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving your own selves. And so you've got all this deception to contend with, and yet in the midst of it all is this bright and shining light from the church who is filled with the spirit of truth and who proclaims the word of truth in a world that is devoid of truth. We are the pillar and ground of the truth. No wonder the church is the most important institution in the world, because this world would just collapse spiritually. It would implode without the presence of the church of the living God. Think of that. The church is also the most knowledgeable institution in the world. One of the most powerful scriptures I have to share with you today is Ephesians chapter three, verses nine and 10, where Paul talks about making all men see the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Now listen to the next part carefully. To the intent that now, the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So the wisdom of God is going to be unveiled in the church before the principalities and powers the hierarchy of angels in heavenly places comprehend what God is truly doing in this world. No wonder angels love to come down into our midst to hear those things that are sent down by the Holy Spirit from heaven. Peter told us that. I believe they're piecing the puzzle together. They're trying to wrap their minds around this mystery of the ages, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we are the most knowledgeable, the most wise institution in the world. The church is also the most stable, most authoritative, and most undefeatable institution in the world. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 16, verses 17, 18 and 19. Jesus is having a conversation with one of his apostles, and he he asked the one who would later be called Peter, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Peter responded, Well, some say that you are John the Baptist, others say you are Elijah, and then others even say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? And Simon said, well, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Listen to Jesus' response. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The King James Version says the gates of hell which is an incorrect rendering of the original word because hell denotes a place of suffering for the wicked Hades was the underworld for both the righteous and the wicked until Jesus rose from the dead. It's called Sheol in the Old Testament, Hades in the New Testament writings. But listen to what he said, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Listen, no one can make it out of this world without going the way of death or the grave except those who have been translated like Enoch and Elijah all other human beings are captivated by death. The grave pulls them down under its authority and power at a certain point in their lives, but it will not prevail against those who are part of the church of the living God. We can say, oh grave, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Because if we are in a relationship with the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have the promise of resurrection. But this passage means more than that. And this is really the peak of what I have to communicate to you on this episode. Let's go back to what Jesus said to Simon. Blessed are you for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. Now I agree that the name Peter means a stone, a small rock. But I don't believe Jesus was just referring to Peter when he said, on this rock, I will build my church. I believe he was talking about the way Peter came into the revelation of his Messiahship. He was not intellectually persuaded by someone that Jesus was the Messiah. He was not convinced just by what he saw, the miracle signs, and wonders. He had a direct revelation from God. And if you have a revelation from God, the whole world can stand against you and you'll stand your ground. You'll say you can all disbelieve, but I know him. I know who he is. I know he's the savior of the world. I know my redeemer lives. If you have a divine revelation, you can go through the worst of circumstances and come out clinging to the cross holding to your purpose, knowing that if God before you, who can be against you? And that's the kind of rock, the rock of divine revelation that the church is built on. He said, "'Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and on this rock I will build my church.'" if you have not had that revelatory experience where the Lord Jesus Christ has become your personal Savior, you need to ask him in your heart today. Now, there's much more left to this revelation that I don't have time to go into, but you can go into a greater depth of understanding in my book, Who Am I?, that covers 52 of the main names and titles given to the people of God. I urge you to either get an e-book copy of Who Am I?, Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ, or order from our website, shreveministries.org, a physical copy, and we will get it in the mail to you immediately. Find out who God says you are, and then you can boldly walk in your God-given roles.